Hi, hi, welcome, welcome. This is Metapol with me, Cactus. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the death of certainty. The problems that have embroiled various media or academic institutions, as well as how we can get out of it. So, when we talk about knowledge, when we talk about understanding an idea, there are actually really three types of things that we can talk about. There are provable ideas, which are essentially ideas that are expressed as a combination of things that we know for sure. For example, you could say that the idea that 2 plus 2 is 4 is a provable idea. Something more complicated, like how to take the derivative of a function, would also be a provable idea, since you express it as some combination of other certain axioms. The second type is a verifiable idea. This is an idea that you don't know immediately upon hearing it, but can actually be tested. One example of a verifiable idea is the force of gravity, is that gravity is generally expressed as approximately 10 meters per second squared times uh, the number of time squared after dropping an item. You can actually test this yourself by taking an item, dropping it, and measuring the rate at which it falls. The third type is purely referential, an idea that gains its legitimacy by referring to other sources and by the credibility of an original author. This can typically be an idea that has to be in conjecture and that is incredibly difficult to be sure of with actual evidence. It can also be something that can be provable, but requires an enormous amount of resources to do it. One example of a referential idea is various classified document reporting. You can have documents that are approved by a government source that represent those who are elected or that represent those who are selected by those who are elected and that generally go through a process to verify their certainty before being released by a country's government. Now, you can't actually know or check for yourself that these things are definitely true. If there is, for example, a government report on all of the projects that it has spent its money on, you don't actually know the details on what those projects actually did unless you can somehow uh, go to the government and actually inspect those different areas. However, there are many areas of life where we do have to rely on these referential ideas. However, what you see with the modern development of mainstream media, as well as with many of the world's governments, is that this use of referential ideas has been parasitized, has been used in order to enable corruption, and actually in order to reduce the prevalence of those other ideas that would be much more preferable as they can guarantee a widespread level of truth. It starts with a failure of critical thinking in education. This has been well documented by books like Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, as well as the book iGen by Jean Twenge. This, in one part, is due to the prevalence or the availability of technology, things including search engines that make it easy to verify a claim and reduces the need for critical thinking to be applied in daily life. For example, if you are learning how cleaning chemicals work, or if you are learning how various appliances work around your house, typically pre-information age, you would be able to reason through this with the first principles that are given to you by public education or by whatever education you initially attended. 
That's what public education is supposed to allow you to do. It's supposed to give you a baseline level of information that you can combine in order to create more information in order to get provable or verifiable results. However, instead, with this widespread use of a search engine, you can simply Google the answer and no critical thinking is ever necessary. Now, of course, this can be useful in many situations, but it also has its drawbacks and public education has never been updated to account for this. To make matters worse, ideologies of safetyism and anti-independence have also led to many of these outcomes in many children, including those documented by Jean Twenier, including those documented by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, where children are essentially engaging in independent activities later in life, including having relationships, getting their first job, getting a driver's license, etc., an average of two to four years later in their life, as well as having less time independently or without parent supervision, even if it's with their friends. The ideology of safetyism is one where parents are responsible for protecting their children in all circumstances, regardless of the costs associated with it, regardless of the developmental consequences with their children, and regardless of the wider context in actually introducing these risk factors that, as we talked about in previous episodes, form an important part of decision-making. All of this has led to a reliance on trust-based systems, on systems such as a search engine or systems such as a cable or mass media that generally spread referential knowledge and that require a level of credibility to operate. However, because there's been such an economic concentration in those types of knowledge, as opposed to the other two types, provable knowledge and verifiable knowledge, there has been an increasing financial and political motivation to actually mess with the system. And that is why you have a mainstream media that is intellectually bankrupt, that fails to properly verify many of their news stories and actually reports actively disproven stories. And to understand how we've actually led to this point, we have to understand the dynamics that supply one type of information over the others. We can first look at this on a financial level. Well, we can first look at what changed between the past and the present. And first is the detransparency of process. Now, what this means is that journalistic institutions are not actually publishing the kind of behind-the-scenes ideas that they actually engage in before and after publishing a story. Now, part of this, you can argue, is due to the existing corruption that already exists, but there is a cyclical loop. We actually want to dig past this and look at what came first, even if each of these forces, corruption and the lack of process, do feed into each other. Of course, we do have to understand that there is no perfect verification ability. We cannot always be 100% sure of a source regardless of how much information is placed on how something is reported. This means that some news institutions will get stories wrong. However, if they were following journalistic standards, they would make clear and precise and publicly widespread declarations of these mistakes after they've been noticed. This is something that is not practiced by the vast majority of American media institutions. We also do have to look at culturification. As we talked about before, this is the use of cultural differences in order to attack other measurable standards 
that are otherwise not actually falsifiable. Now, if you think about these two factors, both of them create a baseline level of uncertainty with any given institution. They create a baseline level of instability where no matter what degree of transparency, what degree of process they show, there is still going to be a concentration of politically motivated or just oblivious attacks on them. In order to combat this, there has to be some alternative method for them to actually gain that credibility. And that is where you have credibility mongering. This is a term I use to describe the effect where various established organizations, often organizations that are well-funded and actually more likely to be corrupt because of that, engage in lending their support through either financial or business ties, through a stamp of approval from said organization, or through uh, outsourcing to these organizations some of the verification, some of the fact-checking, etc. You can see this being practiced anywhere from political operatives to Facebook and other tech companies. Now, in abstract, this isn't necessarily a bad idea. It is good in certain situations to have a third party actually come in and apply a higher standard to actually independently verify certain claims and to make sure everything is processed correctly. However, as the name suggests, credibility mongers don't actually engage in these processes. Instead, they used a well-funded public promotion campaign, as many of these legacy media institutions do, in order to gain false credibility, further asserting political power and political influence, often leveraging some of those same cultural conflict points in order to gain credibility with either the left or the right. What this means is that instead of gaining credibility through the legitimate processes that we described earlier, they instead gain credibility through the assertion of political power and through financial ties and often, quite frankly, things that would be considered bribes in countries outside of the United States to other such credibility-mongering organizations. An additional tactic is, because of the media power that many of these legacy credibility-mongers hold, they're able to attack those who are able to actually produce evidence and produce information to discredit the credibility mongers. Then, those that rise to power are not actually those who fess up to their mistakes, are not actually those who make all their processes transparent and available to be criticized by all others. There are those who generally remain secretive, who gain their credibility, quote-unquote, by reputation and by political tactics, and are often the most spiky and aggressive in actually asserting their claims, instead of those who are the most tranquil, those who are the most understanding and tolerant of possible conflicts. In this way, there's actually an erosion of actual knowledge of the provable and verifiable ideas that we talked about before, because it becomes increasingly easy and increasingly prevalent for many of these media organizations to actually disperse false information using purely referential ideas that are actually in conflict with various provable and or verifiable ideas. I've already covered some of these points in the past, but some include election interference claims, which can be debunked with various mathematical analyses, and include the racial conspiracy theories that are very common on the left, 
which can be essentially pulled even on an individual level, since they assert claims involving such a ridiculously high number of Americans or of another country's population that you can actually verify this claim probabilistically with even a relatively small sample size. All of this is enabled because of the aforementioned credibility mongering, because people have been systematically taught by various public education firms and even by various media figures that this referential idea, that this referential knowledge is of equal value to the other two types of knowledge, which is simply false. Instead, there needs to be an accepting of a baseline level of risk that any institution, particularly those with immediate or quote-unquote breaking news, is going to make mistakes at certain points in time. However, we also need to understand that we have to look at the overall track record. We have to look at the probability of actually making a false claim and also of the willingness to retract those false claims and be willing to admit mistakes if that actually occurs. It would be interesting if someone actually made a metric and an organization dedicated to analyzing this. However, with the culturification and other political ideas in play, if someone actually tried to do this honestly, there would likely be attacks on it from both major political parties in the United States. That's why I've advocated before that we do import some of the media organizations from foreign countries such as Canada or the United Kingdom that would be able to have credibility, veritable credibility, in systems that are not nearly as corrupt in order to implement some of these standards and in order essentially to flush out the corrupt American media. Other ideas that can be highly beneficial include disassociating from the trust-mongering model entirely. In the United States particularly, but also in many other Western cultures, there is an idea of quote-unquote accountability, where people always want to see a reaction to any given event. If there's a false claim that's made, not only do they want to see a retraction of the claim and a correction on everywhere that it appears, but they also want to see an organization quote-unquote do something about it. And while there may be veritable process improvements that can be made if an organization has a long, repeated pattern of such behavior, one such case does not necessarily necessitate this, particularly when it's often dictated based on fake social media activism instead of actually based on a long-term track record and what damage that various mistakes do to the public information space. There should be no premium given to outside of verification that doesn't actually add anything due to the process. Note that this often arises because of that culture of safetyism and because of that culture of this pseudo-accountability where there needs to be some sort of performative action done after every single callout or major news story associated with one false mistake. This has led to a preference for actually resorting to these outside credibility mongers instead of actually focusing on the process ideas, instead of actually creating a slow, well-documented method for reporting that's available to the public, since many of these public ideas quickly get swept up into the polarization and the conflict that we talked about in previous episodes, and because of that, a short, simple solution like referring to another organization, 
even if it's actually ineffective, even if those organizations are actually corrupt, becomes preferred in this media system. So the second thing we need to do is to scrap this faulty self-contradictory idea of accountability and actually slow down the environment and not give credence to these trust-mongering organizations. Another thing might be obvious, which is to prioritize provable information over verifiable information, and for both of those types of ideas to be strongly preferred over referential information. This doesn't mean that referential information is always bad. For example, most of the vaccine trials cannot necessarily be conducted by individuals, including all of us. However, the upsides of having an effective vaccine is so much higher and that there can be verification in the long term if you actually look at the people taking the vaccine. So trusting that information for now is ultimately a benefit. As always, you need to do a probability calculation on these ideas. You need to do a cost-benefit analysis on the uptakes and on the downsides of any given idea. This is, of course, more difficult than essentially just going through your everyday life and trusting everything that you see. But as we've talked about with many of these political systems, this is unfortunately necessary, particularly if you live in the United States or if you live in another area with poor media health. However, one important thing to do is not to stop paying attention to information altogether. That is actually the goal of many of the political operatives that are actually directing the media incentives to go in this direction. Many of the political or even financial movements to actually pressure some media institutions into adopting some of these backward standards is actually fundamentally based in winning political elections. This idea that I've referred to before is information pollution. The goal here is to increase the cost, either monetarily, temporally, time-wise, or emotionally, of actually accessing information. This means that either they hide more information behind government doors where it's more difficult to actually report on it, they hide information inside a long document, or that they put such a large quantity of information out there through various political sources, and also put a large amount of disinformation out there through various political sources, that applying some of the things that we talked about before, disproving the obviously false claims, and actually getting to the good information just takes an enormous amount of time, or they create highly politically charged media, they create conspiracy theories and other methods that make it more difficult to actually get along with people and to gain information that's useful from them, and to even put stories that are emotionally affecting themselves and that can be just difficult to get through on a personal level. All of these things make it harder for every single one of us to actually access information that is correct and that is beneficial to each of our lives. And this is particularly prevalent when it comes to information that can have an effect on an election. There is an incentive for both parties to dump externalities, to dump disinformation as much as they can, because the higher the cost of good information is, the more people are actually going to go without that information, and therefore the more people are going to fall for the cheap tricks that either the Democratic or Republican parties actually provide. This supports many of the negative effects that we talked about before, including polarization, 
including implicit cults, and including the mainstream spread of conspiracy theories with both of these parties. But ultimately, one of the best things you can do is to make sure that there's more positive information out there. You can share this podcast to give more people the tools they need in order to actually sift through this information and to reduce the overall cost for each of them. You can share any other information that you think is beneficial. I, for one, trust your judgment. On average, I think listeners of this podcast, particularly those who are armed with the tools that I try to give in order to actually process information from an objective and scientific lens, are going to be able to make good decisions for themselves and are going to able to act as beacons to guide other people to positive information. So like, comment, share, subscribe, not just on this podcast, but any information that you think follows the process, that you think creates a higher standard for the media environment, and is therefore going to actually be able to lower the cost of information for yourselves and for those around you who you're sharing it to. And if you do that, I am incredibly grateful. And as I say every episode, thank you, not just for listening, but for contributing and for making a reasonable political difference in your own life and in the lives of all of those people around you.